around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. Star Trek podcast by the makers of the greatest generation. That's me. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, you don't get too many failed mission storylines in Star Trek, do you? Like, you could probably count on one hand, like, the number of failures in the Star <laughs> Trek universe, right? I was thinking a lot about that going into this episode. And and today's episode is is like is like underpinned to that idea, which is amazing to me. I also was thinking about this being I, I put this up on Twitter about an hour before the episode aired, that I believe this to be the episode with the highest likelihood of being a make or break in whether this is a good season of Trek or not. Yeah, I think that's super fair. I mean, was it all worth it is really the, the question that we have to answer here with this episode, right? Right, and what can they do in this episode that makes me... I mean, I am chained to this fucking ship (laughs) and you are too yeah like we are going down with the discovery like it or not uh our our viewers could uh could find a piece of a piece of furniture floating somewhere and hop on board and save themselves but uh but we're going down with this thing if uh, if it if indeed it does go down. So I was uh, I was uh, that was very much on my mind. Like, how do they, the writers and producers of this program, given what's happened so far, convince anybody to come back in January? Leonardo DiCaprio is looking at us on top of a door, going, "Rose, you're so stupid." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it would be instructive to discuss before getting into the episode just what we were hoping to get out of this because I don't think I went into this mid-season finale feeling like the stakes were as high as they might have been for you. I was hoping to achieve some sort of satisfaction, uh, but I was not (laughs) expecting or hoping that there would be uh, any sort of tie-up. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I was worried about a lot of directions it might go in. I see I see we're cracking beers at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was worried about a lot of directions it might go in. Uh, I was very worried that it might be a... We might get blindsided by some mirror universe shenanigans in this episode. Sure. Uh, I, I was worried that they would tie the war up in a bow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I was worried that... Uh, that Ash Tyler would like would like uh, Mission Impossible his face off and he would be Vok underneath. Right. All of these things concerned me. It sounds like all of your concerns were addressed in some ways by season one, episode nine. Into the forest, I go. <laughs> we have engaged the Klingons. 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 Don't say Klingons. Ben, the uh, the idea that the last episode resulted in a failed mission that sort of begins this episode is uh, is great to me. Like, I love this. I love the idea that the Federation is not infallible. And 
I mean, one of the many things that you could say about this first season of Star Trek Discovery is that uh, the Federation has failed a number of times. They're heck of fallible at this point. Yeah, they're it, really kind of fuck-ups. <laughs> like, if you had to bet on who was going to win the Klingon Federation War, who's the favorite? It's probably the Klingons, right? Oh, yeah. They, they've got all the, the sporty tech at this point. They've got the coolest gizmos, um, which is not to say that the Federation doesn't have gizmos. But uh, the other thing that's cool about the start of this episode is that it's just shot of ship in orbit of planet, which is yeah. a very comfortable <laughs> composition for Star Trek. And uh, it's like a nice warm bath. Yeah, you know, you, you you have to like gingerly lower yourself so that it doesn't heat your balls up too quickly. I have such poor circulation that basically any hot tub or bath is extremely painful for <laughs> like the first five minutes at least. I don't know if you're like this, but oh man, that is unpleasant. I uh, that's, why, that's why I like to go into a hot tub mostly drunk. I believe we've hot tubbed together before, Adam. Oh yeah, you were in you were in that hot tub, right? It looks quite inviting. Lorca does not want to cut and run. Lorca wants to stay and fight, even though the Vulcan bald admiral is like, get your butts back to Starbase. We don't have, uh, we're not really inclined to to lose the disco in a war over Pavo right now. And Lorca's like, fine, okay. Kills the, the comm signal and is like, let's just limp back to Starbase and use this time uh, in a constructive way, a way that we can use to solve the idea of cloaked Klingon ships. Ben, this whole idea presupposes that the Federation has not spent the last nine weeks trying to solve this riddle. And Lorca's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sick this crew of scientists onto this problem, and maybe they can solve it the next three hours. What? Hey, you dorks busy? <laughs> what the fuck? Before we get too far into that, I want to talk about this Vulcan Admiral, Adam. Oh, yeah? <laughs> this dude is so intense. He always seems like he's taking a poop. They're shooting him with that, that lens that is not flattering. It's uh, it's the fat face lens. Yeah. And, it's not good. And he's like, like, he is doing the Vulcan thing of not letting, you know, not raising his voice when Lorca is, right. is uh, insubordinate or talks back or whatever. But like the Incredible Hulk, he's always taking a poop. <laughs> like, it seems like he's straining on something, you know? They're shooting him close at 35 when they really need to be far and with like an 85. Yeah, a he nice is, flattering uh, 85. That's what you want. Yeah, he's he's looking not great. It's not his fault. I wouldn't want to listen to him either. His face is all distorted. <laughs> well, the, uh, yeah, the... The disco crew get this impossible task from their captain. Uh, who One of the the crew getting the task, Ben, by the way, is a Saru who is on the bridge in uniform and unpunished. Right. And, un, you know, like the, like the thing that is most interesting to me about the last episode is that Saru sort of got them in the same exact hot water that Burnham got them in. Right. At, in a very, like, similar way, like a kind of, like, acting under under the influence of something else and and not explaining himself and being a bad crewmate. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it totally goes unaddressed at all in this episode. 
I kind of feel like there's no law on on Lorca's discovery. Like he is totally substitute teaching the entire crew right now. Get away with murder on this ship. Yeah, every time he walks into the bridge, they're just like throwing throwing pencil erasers at each other and papers flying everywhere. Paper football. <laughs> All right, you kids, quiet down. He goes up up to the view screen and writes L O R C A. <laughs> Big swoopy underline underneath. <laughs> so Lorca isn't totally about disobeying orders. What's he what he wants is a cover, and part of the cover is subjecting Stamets to the forty year old man physical having to do with the spore drive. He's like, Look, man, uh the only reason we're going home under warp instead of spore drive is because i'm gonna say you're having issues and, and Stamets is like to- that's cool i'm uh definitely having issues and lork is like okay well then go down to six bay and get him checked out and Stamets is like <laughs> <laughs> yeah talk about short time backfires <laughs> dr culber does the scan on Stamets, and it's like yeah, Stamets has brain damage, and kind of a lot of it. <laughs> kind of a shocking amount of brain damage for somebody I've been sharing a bed with. He's got total, like, spore CTE going on. And Lorca sort of takes this news as a guy who's willing to uh, needs of the many him. Yeah. You know? Lorca's like, hey, listen, the League is not covering this kind of injury, and obviously, like, this is a great opportunity for a lot of these guys. You know, they come from very poor, very disadvantaged environments, and they get so, they, you know, if they can go to the show, if they're good enough at Spore Drive to get to the show, like, let them take that risk. Lorca doesn't even give him the courtesy of a, oh, that's tough. And like, you know, <laughs> grabbing the bridge of his nose, like, this is a really tough decision. Like, Lorca does not give any fucks about Stamets at this point. Captain, there has to be another way. You have to work. He sort of uh, commander bridge tests Stamets, you know? Like, the idea of defeating the Klingons at Pavo is is broached. And that idea is... How many hundreds of spore drive jumps can we make to detect the sensors that we have a plan to put on this Klingon ship to make their cloaking technology something that we can use against them? Right. So, Because Lorca has basically tasked everybody on the bridge, not Stamets, with coming up a way, with a way to to penetrate the cloaking field. And when he gets back up to the bridge, he's like, all right, peeps, what do we got? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. I mean, this is the best idea we've had so far, is put some <laughs> sensors on board the Klingon ship. We'll have to, like, sneak on board at some point, and then we'll spend a few days doing flybys and uh, letting them take pot shots at us, and we'll use that da- that accumulated data over several days to uh, come up with an algorithm that can detect the gravitational fluctuations in their shields. And he's like, well, we don't have a few days. We've got a spore drive, though, so... The idea of turning spore drive transport into time I thought was was pretty awesome, you know? Totally. If you you don't have the time, you you can spore drive around and make the time, which is great. But it's 133 jumps that they're proposing, which is... uh, Sort of a heavy load for his teammates right now. Yeah, he's he's doing the one finger in the collar, like, 
when they were showing the little diagram of how they think the cloaking field works, one thing that hit me that uh, I hadn't really considered before was Takuvma was a genius. Like, Takuvma invented this thing that is giving the Klingons a real significant advantage in this war, and he was the only one that had it on his ship. That's fucking amazing. Yeah, RSVP Takuvma. Like, you know, you think of of him as a David Koresh type. (laughs) The guy's tough. He's both Einstein and David Koresh. (laughs) Like, he can figure out how to smash atoms and also how to get... 19-year-old women to listen to him play acoustic guitar? Yeah, I mean, if Takuma was more David Koresh, uh, Discovery would be burning his ship down <laughs> with everyone inside. Uh, fun Welcome times. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery, the foremost mashup podcast between uh, <laughs> cults in the United States yeah. and Star Trek shows. Gr- gruesome overreaches by the Department of Justice and <laughs> nerd TV. We have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. Who are you? We've encountered them. Those are Klingons? So this idea is pitched to Stamets, and Stamets does not push back at all. Stamets is like, well, that's sort of a heavy load for me. Uh, not excited about it. Don't tell my boyfriend. Lorca does a lot of giving Stamets a plate of shit to eat in this episode. But it's totally dressed up with the parsley of discovery, right? Right. Like, Lorca's like, hey, come into my standing desk ready room. I'm going to show you all the cool shit that has happened. W slash R slash T spore drive jumps. And Stamets is like, whoa. Like, we've kind of been to a lot of places. And not only that, there's all these dark places on the map that seem to indicate, like, parallel universes. And he sort of skips past this idea <laughs> pretty fast. Like, this is this is the most interesting conversation in any episode of any of the shows so far this season. And Lorca's like, yeah, pretty cool, right? How'd you, how'd you like to do 130 jumps? <laughs> and, uh, and Stamets is like, Look, man, if it hips us to the idea of boldly going to alternate universes, like, sign me up. Like, worth it. Let's go. I'm in, baby. Like, it's a good trade-off to him. I. This clearly indicates that Stamets does not believe his, his life is in danger at this point, right? Even with 130 jumps on the, on the table. He thinks he can take a lot more of this. Uh, the other thing that happens here is he's he likes he looks at Lorca in in shock and is like I didn't know you cared about science at all, dog. <laughs> like I thought you were all about just like medieval torture implements and and like war technology, but you're you're interested in using the exploratory implications of the spore drive, and uh, and that's a big deal. What I wish Stamets was smart enough to realize was that he was being manipulated by a master manipulator. Like, Lorca gives no shits about anyone. And he's using the carrot of of discovery as a way to get him in the booth, in the spore booth. They uh, they put this plan into action, and Ash Tyler's uh, on the bridge, and he's like, all right, we're going to go over there. We're going to put some sensors down. And the captain's like, great, who you taking? And he's like, uh, friend of the show, Michael Burnham, is going to come with me. <laughs> Captain is not pleased with this. You know, the one that you haven't made a a full 
crewman out of yet. Like the one who's probably the most expendable to you. Despite the fact that she is like routinely saving the day at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Ash Tyler makes the case that like no one is better at putting 2013 Mac pros over on that Klingon ship than me and Michael Burnham. I need her. She's a she's a genius bar employee at this point. Lorca's like, nope, fuck it, we're not doing it. And Michael Burnham steps forward and does an extended talk back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no captain in Trek has ever accepted this much lip from a subordinate. Yeah. And yeah. that's something I kind of think is cool about Lorca. He's like, he's like, I have made my decision, but I will hear you out. Nonetheless, <laughs> Michael Burnham flicks her paper football right at Lorca's forehead, like right between the eyes. <laughs> it's a it's a real situation, and he's talked into it. So they beam over, and they set their first sensor, and they're like, they've got like uh, hockey pucks on their chest that make the Klingons' internal sensors think that they are themselves Klingons. Which is a weird parallel with an Orville episode that happened recently where they're sneaking around on the Erzatz Klingon ship in that series. God, I want to show some personal style. I want to step up to that level. So the idea is there's like two things happening in concert, right? There's the mission happening on, on, the, uh, on, the, death, on the Klingon death ship, while at the same time all these spore jumps are going to happen. And... There's sort of an interesting dead man walking moment that Stamets takes walking into the chamber that I thought was really well done. Stamets, having not disclosed to Lorca just just how how death-defying this mission would be for him, mm-hmm. fully embraces the idea of his own death, enough to tell Dr. Colbert he loves him before getting in the booth, which seems like a pretty big step. I think this is not just a big step for them, but it's a big step for Trek, like having two like main cast characters who love each other and have to undergo the like emotional trial of seeing one or the other at risk because of the job that they do, the like the like adventure and exploration aspect of Trek. I think I think that's super cool. I'm I'm really glad that they're giving themselves room to do things like that in this se- in this series. I want to be clear, like, their sexuality does not have much to do with the idea of how big it is that two crew people love each other during a death-defying mission. Like, you're right. As you say, it is totally rare for you to see any sort of relationship grounded like this before something dangerous happens. And you know what? For a ship of people who live with each other for as many years as they do, it seems insane to me that this doesn't happen more often. Like... Every time Riker beamed down to the surface, there should have been a moment where Troy was like, oh, I could lose him this time. Or or Beverly and Picard, like it could have happened to them too. Like every single time a life is put in danger, there's a moment of this that it, that feels like should happen. And this is one of the rare times we see it. Pretty great. I think it's a credit to uh, Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz's performances too, because I think that like later episodes of Deep Space Nine and Voyager have some some times when characters love each other and are are at risk or whatever, but they are really portraying these characters beautifully, and uh, it's really affecting when 
Stamets says, I love you, and then goes in the Spock box. Shall we dock this weary vessel? Yes, Captain. So on the uh, on the Klingon ship, uh, Michael Burnham has picked up a uh, an interesting signal on her tricorder, and that is the signature of a human life sign. And uh, what they discover is... There's a bob shape on her tricorder. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Starfleet insignia, except one of the one of the tines is very short. <laughs> yeah, the uh, so Admiral Bob is like is like slumped in a corner, and they they run into the into the dead bodies room that uh, that we saw in the last episode, and. Immediately, Michael Burnham is attending to Admiral Bob, who is really clinging to life. And uh, unfortunately for Michael Burnham, our buddy Ash Tyler is caught in kind of a fugue state as he encounters the also clinging to life body of Laurel. And Laurel, like, sees him and stands up. And we get some like really fun like exploitation style camera work where they're going like crazy wide angle, super close to his face as he like sweats and deals with the reveal that uh, his interrogator, his torturer is still alive. Yeah, I mean, he does not get the PTSD sweats upon beaming over the ship. It takes seeing Laurel for him to be totally caved in by this idea. As Admiral Bob kind of comes to, she spots what's going on with him. And I guess Admiral Bob came to the Admiralty via something like what Troy does, because she's like, I've treated a lot of people with PTSD, and that that dude right there is in shock. Yeah, he's kind of mumbling to himself. You can see him in soft focus. He's He's talking. Yeah. But he's not talking to anyone specific. Michael Burnham is like, uh, dude, I have to leave you here. Like, I'm going to like set you up next to Admiral Bob, who conveniently has some expertise in this, but I got to go put the other sensor in place and make sure that this mission gets completed. I'm going to come back for both of you. Ash's, Ash Tyler and Laurel's relationship is kind of punctuated with some fire in the sky style cutaways of torture and they're they're really fast but there appears to be a sort of an angle grinder situation happening there it's like back and forth between angle grinder and plastic bag that your dry cleaning comes in stretched over his face now when you're grinding the loaf <laughs> off of a Klingon forehead you're gonna want to use the grinding attachment and not the cutting wheel that way you take the loaf all the way down to the bare skull, and your Klingon looks more human by the end of the procedure. We're using clear cellophane bag that we got at our local dry-cleaning shop <laughs> to smooth some of the rougher edges out. It's a low-cost way to really make it believable. It's, uh, it's fairly gruesome in the cutaway scenes that we get. It's full-on pool of blood and gore-style gruesome, which is another uh, departure for Star Trek. You know, we saw a lot of torture scenes that uh, particularly Geordi LaForge was involved in, Ben, and it was mostly the electronic kind of torture, you know, like beams into eyes. Uh, you get little uh, little toothpicks into foreheads. 
<laughs> you get your clip show device right. insertion, for example. But this is like, there is blood involved and a lot of it. Shit is nasty. Also, like, if we are, like, we're beating around the bush here, Ben. Like, the the idea of Ash as Vogue has been posited many weeks now. But all that blood looks red on the table. Haven't uh, haven't the Klingons been continuity to have red blood at this point? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you definitely see some 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 Klingon loaf in those cutaways. Like, there's little right. glimpses of loaf for yeah. sure. If I'm gonna go out on a limb and posit a theory here, what has happened is something akin to a, a mind meld where they have like implanted some some sort of like sleeper voke uh consciousness in ash rather than ash being just voke in disguise because oh i was sort of coming at it exactly the opposite way in that they put ash into voke's cut up body like there there had to have been a real ash tyler yeah his story checked out and i mean like he's smart and competent and human and humane so right. and i don't think any of those are things that voke could have faked yeah, that's true. Like there's a there's a a pilot and a passenger to the personality at this point. If if we're presupposing that that our theory is true. I don't know. I've I've been trying to kind of not read the other recaps and yeah. and online commentary about this show cuz I I want to have the fresh take that the freshest take that I can have and I also don't want to like uh, unconsciously advance somebody else's theory. So, yeah, that's fair. Everything in this montage, though, like, is worth talking about. Like, the montage is sort of selling this idea, and so I don't think I think we're talking more about the montage than the idea of of people having theories that we're commenting on. Yeah. So I think it's fair to talk about this, right? Sure. I mean, I think uh, uh, you know the the theory slipped into into our awareness but the it, it it seemed very ridiculous just that it would be voke in human loaf or whatever what 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 what's happening what's all this i'm trying to save you what is this michael makes her way to the death ship bridge to to drop this mac pro and gets into it with cole it's pretty fun it's it's like pistols at dawn style, right? It's uh, mechleths at dawn. I actually wrote mechleths at dawn in my notes. <laughs> that is a that is the best title, Ben. <laughs> I uh, I curtsy to your title. Uh, yeah, because because she's like crouch. You know, she set up her sensor and is crouching behind some barrels that they have chosen to store on the bridge of their ship. And she realizes that she needs to buy some time for the Discovery, basically. Like, the Discovery is doing its science, and the, uh, and, and the, the Klingons are not going to, are not going to hang out long enough to make their scan complete. So she starts shooting dudes, and she comes out and uh, gets, in, gets in a pretty sweet sword fight with, with Cole. Cole's sort of an asshole about, about this fight before like he gets some real good bad guy monologuing and he's sort of rolling around Giorgio's 
com badge in his hand and like picks his teeth with it and stuff. Yeah. It's really good, like uh, Brad Wesley bad guy uh, posturing here. Like, you just really want to see him get his ass kicked. Kicked his ass gets, Adam. Like, we know that Michael Burnham is fucking sick at hand to hand, you know? And uh, she does not disappoint. Like, this is a, a bit of a drawn out uh, Peter Pan and Captain Hook situation, and she takes some scrapes, but. Uh, she's like ultimately like totally holding her own when the discovery finishes their scans, they beam out Cat, uh, Admiral Bob and Ash Tyler. And she's like, she's even like stuck a knife into, into Cole's leg and, uh, grabs the, grabs the com badge and like jumps off the railing before she gets beamed out. You see this so rarely, the midair beam out. It's great. Yeah, it's a very post-J.J. Abrams type of beam-out, I feel like. Yeah. The other person that gets beamed out is Laurel, who, like, grabs onto Ash Tyler when she sees the, uh, I guess she, like, comes to just in time. <laughs> Man, it's just to get herself aboard Starship Discovery. I don't think it should surprise anyone that I don't listen to any other shows or watch any other shows about Star Trek Discovery, Ben. I wonder if we're the only ones who call him Ash Tyler, like as in first name, last name. It just seems like the most natural thing to do. Yeah, He's Ash Tyler. He's not just Ash. Yeah. Why is that? I wonder if we're the only ones that call her Admiral Bob. (laughs) We better be. (laughs) You're getting sued if you're calling her Admiral Bob on your little Star Trek podcast. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Laurel does the, you know prisoner in handcuffs wrap around on ash tyler and gets the beam out sort of like the uh she sort of stows away on the beam out yeah and uh on the bridge saru sort of announces it she's like yeah we got him we got ash tyler we got michael burnham we got this weird stowaway this was a really interesting scene to me ben because you get the slow motion rudy like end of rudy moment where (laughs) the mission is successful and everyone's happy, but when the sarcophagus ship is destroyed, you basically only see the glow of it off of everyone's faces. Yeah, it's like Lorca just like eyedropper, eyedropper, blow it up. Lorca and Ash don't even watch the entire thing. They just kind of walk off the bridge in a way that I found fairly disappointing. Like, you know, for a mission that was so important to them, uh, they don't even... They don't even take in the literal afterglow of of a successful mission. I think that they're just kind of obsessed with action movie culture, and they're like, <laughs> what would be cooler than walking in slow motion away from the house we just blowed up, and the house we just blowed up is the fucking Klingon ship of the dead. Look, they're, they're playing uh, mid-90s hip-hop hits at the parties. <laughs> they're doing slow-motion walkaways of explosions. This is a ship that really appreciates uh, mid-90s culture, that's for sure. <laughs> we do get a little bit of an elliptical jump here, right, Ben? We get a, we get a communique between uh, Admiral Wide-Faced Vulcan <laughs> and Lorca... <laughs> Who who hips him to the idea that Admiral Bob's surgery is going to be successful? Uh, Lorca, this does not make Lorca happy. Nothing makes Lorca happy. Admiral Bob uh, made the first successful 
journey in a uh, in a shuttle. In a shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> so far in this series. God, you know what? The scene that got cut out of this episode was Lorca piling Admiral Bob in a shuttle and going, see ya, and then like being fairly certain that she wouldn't survive the trip. <laughs> uh Wide face. You guys are making me Vulcan. go back in what? <laughs> the wide faced Vulcan is like, also, uh, we're going to give you a Legion of Honor award, which Lorca takes as insignificantly as like a PS4 trophy in a video game. Like, he he could not care any less. He could not give any fewer fucks. And so they, they're like, all right, like, come on back. Come to the Starbase. We'll patch you guys up. You guys can uh, catch your breath. You've done a lot for the war effort, and uh, and we're and we're really psyched about all the data that you got about the cloaks. Uh, we can start using that to you know to put that out fleet wide. We'll be able to nail these Klingons whenever we find them. And so Lorca talks Stamets into one more drop, like and and this is like the most manipulative shit Lorca does. <laughs> Yeah. He's like he's like, "Hey man, listen, I'm not even asking you. I'm uh, like we're going to do it as 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 a warp. It's like you it's chill. Like you don't have to you don't have to put yourself at risk." And Stamets is like, "Well, after if you say that, like how can I do anything but?" Lorca's like, "I know on this ship we're into uh 90s pop culture, but there's this show called Quantum Leap. <laughs> and there's this guy, Dr. Sam Beckett. He's always hoping his last jump is the one that takes him home, and I'm I'm giving this one to you, Stamets." Jump us home. Stamets is like, <laughs> to mix pop culture metaphors, <laughs> he sort of uh, lethal weapons this. He's like, I'm I'm getting too old for this shit. This last jump is going to be the last one before I retire. <laughs> like, like, all of the ominous signs are here. This is not going to end up good. Yeah. It's a scene that is freighted with, with, uh, with meaning. And then we get a scene that is freighted with nonsense. <laughs> Which is a Klingon boobs inclusive sex scene that Ash Tyler is imagining between himself and Laurel. Ben, this uh, this Klingon wet dream. Uh, I wrote down a lot of notes on this. <laughs> I don't know. How, I don't know how deeply you want to go on this. Fairly surprising. Uh, no loaf on the titties, Ben. No titty loaf. Yeah. I mean, we know a lot about Klingon boobs care of Lursa and Bator. You will make a worthy mate. Was Ash Tyler in this scene, in this scene of sexual fantasy, uh, a willing participant to you? I mean, it's very hard to say. Yeah, He's, I think it's inconclusive, right? I don't know what's going on in this scene, man. <laughs> it's really weird. You see almost everything, Ben. <laughs> I've seen it all. They really continue the, like, exploitation film camera work all through this episode. Like, when Stamets is is going nuts in the Spock box, they have the crazy wide lens super close on him. Uh, and and then they, they do all of this crazy film technique on the, uh, on the dream, dreamy, dreamy sex scene. The thing about... Uh, seeing so much of Laurel's boobs here is that you only barely see more of them than you've ever seen on Lursa and Bator. <laughs> I feel like a lot of that mystery's been solved by now, you know? Like, yeah. W slash R slash T, what do Klingon boobs look like? Canonical Klingon boob, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. In the way that all of the other Klingon loaf is non-canonical. Sure, the yeah. Boob, the boob is canonical. 
They really made some decisions here. God, I wish I was in that writer's room meeting of like, how much do we show? How little do we show? What do they look like? Can you draw it? Can you draw it? Go up to the whiteboard. Use the red pen. If I were hosting After Trek, that's what I'd be asking the writers. How many hours went into that scene? My people were biologically determined for one purpose alone, to sense the coming of death. What? To sense the coming of death. This doesn't make any sense. I sense it coming now. None of it makes any sense. Sounds like nonsense to me. As Tyler goes down to the brig and does the obligatory, like, what have you done? <laughs> and uh, Laurel, who is in a new kind of, a new kind of Starfleet, prisoner gear because we've like we have established what prisoner gear in starfleet looks like but laurel is in some new shit if what you were doing was designing a straight jacket that that covered less of the body and instead was just like sort of ropes yeah. steel ropes or something that's what she's got on she's got like six of these she's like just you wait buddy just you wait till the second half of season one yeah, she says, I will never let them hurt you. And I don't feel like that was an answer to a question Ash was asking. A bit of a non sequitur. Right. Stamets goes down to engineering, gives Culber a big kiss, says, uh, we're heading home, buddy. And uh, when we do, I'm going to do, I'm going to go to all the date spots that you, that you want to go that I hate to go to, you know? like with my wife you know when i'm when i really want to make her happy i will accept going out to sushi it's not it's not what i want to do it's what she wants to do oh i can't believe i've known you as long as i have been and and i'm just now learning that you don't like sushi really i love sushi i hate paying for it oh god listen to you it's too expensive no it's not you pay for quality ben i know i only want really high quality sushi and i don't like Fucking spending $80 on dinner. I don't know. I just feel like that's a, just an understood part of going out for sushi. Also, the other part part of sushi that I think kind of sucks is that I always leave and I'm like, eh, I'm going to have a bowl of cereal when I get home. I'm just really <laughs> hungry still. There's a sushi place in Seattle that uh, next time you're up here, we have to go to. I, uh, yeah, they, they do some magic to a black cod up there that oh, uh, yeah. I, can't, I can't explain, dude. <laughs> Here's what I want to talk about. With uh, regard to this this idea, though, Ben, is like, who wants to go out on a date with a person who does not want to do that thing that you like doing? I've made the case for this in my own relationship a couple of times. Like, uh, if you like doing a thing, you should go do the thing and enjoy it and not feel like you're dragging someone along. That's no fun. Culber doesn't need to put up with this shit. I think that you, like, more than almost anybody I know is very sensitive to whether other people are enjoying themselves or not. That's fair. Which is, it's it's very sweet, but, you know, that's uh, like most couples are like, yeah, sometimes we do shit I want to do and sometimes we do shit they want to do and sometimes we meet in the middle. For, uh, for Stamets, it's opera. Mm-hmm. He hates it, but he'll do it. He fucking hates it. So they uh, <laughs> they proceed to attempt a jump at him but attempt is the operative word. Because they end up pulling out during, Ben. <laughs> they, uh, it's an incomplete jump, according to the computer. And, uh, and Lorca on the bridge is like, okay, well, uh, didn't complete. 
Happens to everyone from time to time. Uh, where are we, Saru? And Saru is like, I don't know. Like, star charts aren't matching up. Uh, I have no idea, TBH. And the button on the episode is Lorca kind of looking out the window, trying to figure out where the hell he is on site. And there's a bunch of debris. Yeah, and it's not really not really debris that is reading as Klingon ship of the dead. Like, there's, you know, which would make sense if they were still in orbit of planet dog fever. <laughs> but they're not. And it's smashed to black time, Ben. Smashed to black for a couple of months. I mean, the the spoons that have been fed to us in this episode up until now, the idea of there being other universes, parallel universes, connected to this one, it would seem as though they have found themselves in one of these, though it goes unsaid. Right. The great implication here is that there's some alternate universe shit happening and uh that will be an interesting thing to see unfold adam did you like this episode well there's two ways to talk about this right there's the did i like the episode and do i feel like this was uh a successful wrap to a half season in the way that we discussed before right right does it leave you saying oh yes or oh no Ben, I like the episode and I like the season and I like and I like the button. I mean, this wasn't a Mr. Wharf fire kind of cliffhanger that I was expecting, <laughs> but it was a cliffhanger nonetheless. I mean, they flew the ship off of a cliff and then they're they're like at the bottom of a different cliff. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Um I felt like in this episode, there were a couple of times when I said, oh, no, and then I realized that my oh, no was premature because I think I've been preoccupied with worry that this wouldn't be a good show. And I think that I've seen enough to think that it is a good show. I I mean, I will admit to reading the the comments on our show threads on Facebook and Twitter. There's a there's like a fair amount of dislike for the show. In a way that I really don't share. I'm, and it's hard for me to articulate why that is. Like, I didn't go into this series hoping and expecting for things to be exactly the way that I like them. Because I don't go into any show that way. The idea that, like, Star Trek fans need it to be a certain way to be happy, I, I just think that that's a fairly narrow way to appreciate a thing that you love like there are like religion is a very imprecise comparison to this but like there are there are interpretations of things that a lot of people believe in that are rife for uh for argument right and a lot of people don't like some interpretations and a lot of people do and it's like, like how we can get people who announce very like sanctimoniously that they hate our show because it's uh too much about like liberalism and and like acceptance and and shit and it's like have you seen star trek because that's kind of what the franchise is but that's like right. where we're coming from on it and other people come from a different place i don't do this show at them i do this show at you ben <laughs> And and that's my that's been my primary goal throughout. I mean, 
uh to bring it back to the start like i i i like the episode and uh and i like it for for its flaws it's not neat and i like the first half of the season it's not neat and it's not perfect and you know like the the main criticism i've had up until now is one that remains which is like when i dialed up this episode and i th- saw it was 45 minutes long i was disappointed yeah like i want longer episodes here it's just too tight what about you ben yeah i uh i think everything you said is is right on um i the one thing that i have read in the like media about this show uh outside of our show about this show uh was an article that our max fun colleague riley silverman wrote for sci-fi wire Mm -hmm. which i guess is the sci-fi channel's uh culture blog and what she said was like this is like watching this show is has got to be a lot like what watching next generation was for people who are fans of tos like like what the hell is going on? This is such a different thing. This is so radically different that I almost don't understand it to be a part of the same universe. And yet it kind of became the definitive part of that universe. Right. And I, you know, I don't know that discovery will become the definitive series of Trek. Like that might be an extravagant jump to make based on that. But like, I do feel like, Oh wow, this is, uh, like cool and interesting and amazing, and it does not feel like the trek I was suckled on. Th- this is an episode that felt like uh, it it didn't do i like either exactly what I was expecting or exactly exactly what I was afraid of. It mm. it's like it surprised me in a in a way that I think is fun and cool for a a long narrative prestige television show to do. There's something about media appreciation right now that is chock full of hyperbole like in both areas right yeah best show ever worst (laughs) show i've ever seen you don't watch breaking bad what right exactly and i'm very comfortable with the idea that i'm i'm not going to i'm not going to be hyperbolic about this show just like i don't feel like we were ever hyperbolic about next gen like I was very careful to say that Star Trek The Next Generation was my favorite Star Trek, but I would never say it is the best Star Trek. Yeah. It's, I mean, who knows what's the best Star Trek? That's so subjective. Right. Right. So as far as Discovery goes, I'm enjoying it very much, and uh, and I'm excited to see it come back in January. I'm really excited to watch this whole half season again in a way that doesn't require me to pause it every 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. I was uh, I was gonna suggest maybe in a couple of weeks we come back and do a little bonus episode of just give, giving yeah. ourselves time to binge it and then talk about what that looks like. That's a good idea. Let's do a, a binge episode. You know what else is a good idea, Ben? Is checking our priority one messages. Want to see if we have any of those? I would love to do that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, we have one priority one message. This is of a personal nature. It's from Richard Valet. It is for the greatest discovery group chat. Message goes like this. I just want to say thanks for keeping me distracted at work. <laughs> Constantly entertained and frequently laughing. Thanks for the mirror universe world building, the stream of consciousness that's nearly impossible to keep up with, the many tangents, 
the top shelf nicknames, <laughs> and the all-around great friendships. You guys, it's rock. That was a rock with a Z. Whoa. To be clear. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, Richard's talking about uh, talking about the group chat. You have any group chats going, Ben? I don't even know where the group chat is at, man. Is that like a, a text string or what? I don't know. Maybe. He wasn't... Uh, Richard Valet wasn't specific. Yeah. Sounds like a fun hang. Could be the Facebook group. Might not be. But uh, <laughs> we are going to take a little bit of, of a break with the show, but Priority One messages are a thing that we will continue to do as we do new episodes. So if you're interested in sending a message to a group chat, a friend or family member, or uh, if you feel like advertising a, uh, a business venture you've got, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. Ben, we always say it, it's one of the great ways to support the production of our show. We really appreciate it. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. 
We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Uh, did you find yourself a drug Shimoda? Incredible. Drug Shimoda. I did. Adam, uh, you know, Drunk Shimoda is often awarded to the character that's having the most fun. And um, I just loved the way Anthony Rapp played the scene where Stamets gets told to put uh, put himself in for a physical down in Six Bay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the look of perturbation on his face is so funny. It was like a totally laugh out loud moment. And it was just because the performance was so delightfully good. Like it was great. And I, uh, I laughed because it was funny and it was intentionally funny. And, uh, and, uh, so for that statements gets my drunk Shimoda for this episode. Ben, I feel like you and I really appreciate scenes like this a lot. Like, and it's because, you know, great actors play marginally with emotions. Yeah. And Anthony Rapp could go big here and he doesn't. Like, but but where he decides to go is just a really good choice for an actor to make. And uh yeah, I I really love that scene too. It's a it's also just a well written scene. Like he get, like we we've developed over the course of two episodes that getting his boyfriend in on how how mangled his brain is getting is something he very much doesn't want. And like when you force a character to do a thing that is the opposite of the character's want in a scene, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Ben, my Shimoda is related to Stamets and might even be related to this scene. Tilly just can't keep her fucking mouth shut about <laughs> uh, things she knows about crew people because uh, when Stamets walks in for... Is it the final jump? I hope I'm not misspeaking, but... Oh, yeah, it's the initial jump, the the 133. When Stamets wanders into engineering to to get in the booth for his 133 jumps, Tilly's like, uh, oh, Dr. Culber, uh, <laughs> Stamets must have told you all about those weird side effects he's been having. And, uh, and, and that's awesome that you cleared him for all these jumps coming up, like... I'm I'm really glad he's gonna be okay. Cobra kind of flashes her a look like Cobra could have burned her down for this. <laughs> Which I thought was also great. Like Tilly knows she fucked up. She almost like reaches her hands in front of her face and tries to pull pull the words back in. Can't do it. Yeah. Cobra and Stamets have another moment of like, uh yeah. So that's true. <laughs> Culber lets it slide and uh, Stamets goes into the booth. To me, like the idea of saying something you shouldn't is in keeping with uh, the purest definition of a Shimoda. So uh, give mine to Tilly. Yeah. Ben, what does it look like we have coming up on the next episode of Star Trek Discovery once it comes back in mid-January? 
Well, we've got uh, we've got stamens down. His eyes have gone all milky, and he's the only person that can navigate the spore, whatever. Yeah, I mean, without him, it would appear like they're going to be stuck wherever they're at for a while. And I think I think that's, that plays interestingly into the uh, the title of the next episode, which is "Despite Yourself." Oh, and uh, also into some of the promo copy which says find out what happens when you boldly go too far i thought the uh the children's toy viewfinder style transitions between scenes in the preview were interesting to me yeah it was very uh, what that's trying to say departure from what they have done before it kind of reminded me of the way the spore drive jumps look a little bit oh yeah that's a good point I, for one, will will miss it. I am not looking forward to the break. I wish we could just crash on into more episodes, but yeah, as it is. Me too. We'll be back in January, and uh, if not a little bit before, with uh, with maybe a binge episode. Yeah, special. we'll we'll definitely try and check in with a couple of of uh, intermediate episodes of one kind or another. And uh, you know, like, uh, let us let us know how you thought these these first several went. Yeah, I think this has been a really fun experiment for us to do, Ben. I've really enjoyed it a lot, and I really appreciate everyone who's either listening to a greatest gen style podcast for the first time, and all of our friends who have come over from uh, OG greatest gen podcasts. Uh, really happy to have done this for you guys. It's been fun. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you in. A while. The Greatest Discovery is a MaximumFun.org podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Benjamin R. Harrison. Produced and edited by Rob Schulte. Music by Adam Ragusia. Head to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of this show. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen when discussing the show on Twitter. You can find Ben on there at BenjaminAHR and Adam is at cut for time and make sure to check out the facebook and reddit groups to continue the conversation maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned listener supported